today's message is peculiar. Did you know you were peculiar? Do you feel comfortable being peculiar? Or do you glory in the fact that you're peculiar? God's got a lot to say about that particular subject in his word. And it is a sin, involves a sin, that can be slipped on us without our being aware of it. And that is the kind that Satan loves to be involved with. I still firmly believe, third chapter of Genesis, that one of the most outstanding characteristics of Satan is this. Not only does he want to destroy the work of God on this earth with us, his people, but he wants to do it in a way that no one ever even knew he was there. That's his nature. And that's why he's deceitful. That's why he's a liar. That's why he's so many, he is devious, so many ways of his. Because he doesn't want anybody to know he's the one that's behind everything. I've made the statement and I'll repeat it now. This country today is upside down. And the only person that's happy about it is Satan himself. But we are called as his children to live in this world that is dominated by Satan. And not only that, to put up with all the tribulation that Jesus says we're going to have, plus do it in such a way that God can place his arm around our backs and pat us on the shoulder and say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. And that is not an easy task to do. And God refers to us and calls us a peculiar people. And let's see what that entails. If you want to turn to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. Let's start at verse 8. Chapter 2 of 1 Peter and verse 8. He's speaking of Jesus and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense even to them which stumble at the word being disobedient. He calls those who are disobedient to God those who stumble at his word. They read his word and they don't get it or else they get it and choose not to have it and they go their own way. Whereunto also they were appointed you know, it's an interesting thing that as Peter talks here, he gives little sidetracks, little rabbit trails, one fellow called. Things that you need to understand, and I'm going to slip it into what I'm saying, even though I'm not talking about that. 
But in this verse, he mentions that even the people who stumbled at his word, the ones who are disobedient to God, the sinners, were appointed for that role in their life. God chose them out too. But ye, he makes this point, verse 9, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We should be praising God for no other reason than he chose us, made us all priests, called us into this profession, and saved us simply because it was his choice. Not because of anything we did, not because of who, who our daddy was or our mama was, not who our family was. And that ought to be enough for us to praise him that we are today who we are with the power that we have, with the ability to love that we have, that people in the world without Jesus don't have. Now if we turn to Titus, just a few pages over to the left, to Titus chapter 2 and verse 14. Paul says in this letter to Titus, chapter 2 and verse 14, he's speaking of Jesus here. He said, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all our iniquity. He chose us so he can clean us up of our sins. Let me throw a little rabbit trail in there. Christians should know more about forgiveness than any people alive. I heard someone say that some people attempt to learn forgiveness by studying the scriptures and other people own dogs. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity, all this that we hear today, the reason we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the reason he called us, and the reason we meet, and the reason we study, and the reason we pray, and the reason we attempt to try to commit our lives to what Jesus Christ would have us to be is because of sin. And it's there. And it will always be there and purify unto himself a peculiar people. He wants us to be peculiar. Zealous of good works. He says we ought to be emotional about the things that we do for him, the good works that we have, the things that he calls us to do for him as Christians, the things that he gave us the power to do. 
That word in some of the newer translations is translated, peculiar person is translated into a person of his own. He owns us. I hope we've gotten that. We don't own ourselves. He owns us. So then let me ask the question, and here we get back to the title and what I said to introduce what I was fixing to say. How peculiar are you willing to be? Does it bother you to stand out? Would it bother you to make a comment in front of your family and friends that you know they probably wouldn't appreciate maybe? Or maybe it would do something to separate you from them? Let's turn to Matthew chapter 10. We speak a lot of a God of love and a God of peace, and then there's Jesus. And what was he? Chapter 10 of Matthew and verse 32. These are Jesus' words. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father, which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father, which is in heaven. So if you won't tell people that I'm kin to you, then I won't tell people that you're kin to me either. That's exactly what he's saying here. I was told years and years ago that there is no such thing as a closet Christian, one who keeps his Christianity private to himself. That's not a part of who we're supposed to be. Think not that I am come to send peace on earth, Jesus says. I came not to send peace, but a sword or that word translate a conflict. I came to create a conflict about who I am. For I am come to set at variance or set apart a man against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's foes shall be those of his own household. As we accept the gospel of Jesus Christ and start living as we see that God wants us to live and that the Holy Spirit inside of us starts influencing us to live, we see that there will be those who we love and are close to us will pull away from us. But it says in verse 37, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. 
And he that taketh not his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Those are very, very strong words coming from the mouth of Jesus. And they're to us. You say, I never heard anything like that. Never read it. Didn't know about it. Don't think about it every day. But that's what Jesus says. There is a war going on in the world about truth. And so many times, we was in a discussion this morning before church, a couple of us, about truth. And how truth can be a dangerous thing if it's misappropriated. <laughs> but he says in the 18th chapter of John, verse 37, For this cause I came into the world, and to this end was I born that I might bear witness to the truth. And the people of the truth hear my voice. Now let me ask you, how big a stickler are you on truth? Do you smile at little white lies? They're still an untruth. Somebody says, well, there's a lot of half-truths going on. Yeah, but they're half a lie. <laughs> so this thing of truth is a very important factor. It is the reason Jesus said he came, so that we might know the truth of everything. As followers of Christ, we've got to be fans of the truth. We've got to appreciate truth. We've got to be people who want to know the truth. Because often it's very different than what has been presented to us. Sometimes you have to dig for the truth. Sometimes you have to go behind the counter a little bit and see what's really going on to get the truth. Because the truth affects you. And the fact is, we are taken advantage of on a constant basis. My TV, I know, talks constantly. One of the things that I attribute to Satan himself is these people that you spend money with are going to get you what you deserve. Well, there's a question that you can ask yourself. Just what is it I deserve? Because you see, that's the opinion of Jesus too. But we're in a war about truth. And we're surrounded by people who are so adept at lying that they can lie to you. The TV camera can show them right flat in their face and you can't even see their eye flick when they tell something that you know is a lie. They're good at it. But now listen to this. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16, no need to turn there. Let your light so shine before men 
that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now, that is something that I've contemplated for years. I can't understand why God would do something like this, but the fact is He did. One of the main ways that God can get glory for Himself is through us. Now, understand, I understand He manipulates nature. He says Himself that the reason I send lightning is to show you my power. Does anybody know of anything that you can be scared of than lightning? Once you've experienced it a little bit, you don't like it up close. But you see, even with that, he says, I get my glory out of you guys, the people who I have chosen and called to represent me on this earth. And I do that by people, not all of them are who are born again, but people who see the way you act and they say or give credit to God for the way you're acting. Why in the world do you think he or she did that? Well, it's got to be God. You know how big they are on that deal. That's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. We have to live our lives in a way that God gets credit for who we are and what we do. In Ephesians, you may want to turn there, chapter 6 and verse 6. Ephesians chapter 6. He's talking here to slaves. Okay, that word servant is 401 in my Bible dictionary. That's a slave. They trans... Can't think of the rest of the word. <laughs> when they translated scripture, they translated the word slave into servant because so many people are against the word slave. But the fact is, if he owns us and he has every right in the world to do anything with us he wants to do, that really is the definition of a slave. So the word here is to slave. Slaves, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in singleness of your heart as unto Christ. Whatever you do in what is considered good works and also the way you live and the way you talk and the way you think, don't do it to show off to other people. That's what he's saying here. Do it as if you were doing it to Christ himself, which is the reason you're doing it. but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men. You remember how Jesus early on in Matthew said we're supposed to give in secret? That's where it says you're not the right hand's not supposed to know what the left hand's doing. That's when you're giving to pray in secret 
and he will bring out what we pray for and make it aloud, and everybody will know what it is. And to fast, to have self-control of our own eating in such a way, and not to go and moan and groan about what you're doing so other people feel sorry for you. We're to do it as if we're doing it to God, and that's it. In Colossians chapter 3, almost the same thing. He decided to use it twice, just three, three, four pages over. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 22, Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers. uses that word there, men-pleasers. but in singleness of heart, fearing God. So now this is given, we, we, we've looked at this thing called peculiar. God chose to make us peculiar. And he asked us every day in the sanctification process that the Holy Spirit would make us more and more and more peculiar. More and more special, if you want to use the word more and more like children of God. And not to be men pleasers. Not to do what you do in order to impress other people. Now in my life, I don't know what about you, but I take that as something that tells me you need to keep your mouth shut. I need to do that. Of course, I was told in the seventh grade that I wasn't anything with a smart aleck anyhow, and every time I opened my mouth that I just needed to hush. My teacher told me that, my favorite teacher, and it really got to me. And all I was doing was holding my hand up because I worked in my daddy's cafe, and she asked the question, why do you never wash a skillet with soap and water? And I knew that. And I said it, and none of the girls could answer it. And she called me a smart ass. But it does cause you to think about how much talking do you do and how much attention do you bring on yourself by what you're talking about. And we've got little sly ways of making us look better without really saying we're better, just like something like, oh no, I don't do that. And saying it with a proudful voice. When sometimes you're offered things that you would rather not partake of, all you gotta do is say, no thank you. But we got to add something to it to give us a little glory. You know, no, I don't ever do that. Oh, I wouldn't touch that. You know, we do that. And that's what I'm saying. Because the people around us who are doing that begin not to want us around because we say we're not doing that. And then that gives them conviction and then they have to worry about whether or not they really ought to be doing it themselves. And that's the reason we make everybody uncomfortable. 
and we ought to be enough to say simply, no, thank you. You don't have to give anybody any reason. But let me ask you this. Now, we know that Jesus was in the miracle business, right? I mean, it's everything about him. Everywhere he went, he was creating miracles. Is there any reason that anybody can give me that they think that Jesus is still not in the miracle business? Has anywhere in your scripture that you know or any preacher you've ever heard says, oh, Jesus quit all that way back? No, he didn't. And I dare say most of us who have been serving Christ for any time at all has been the product of one of his miracles. We prayed and saw a prayer answered. We prayed for somebody else and saw somebody else change. So he's still in the miracle business. We've got the Holy Spirit of God in us, a part of God that causes us to be like Jesus wants us to be, him. So then, what would happen at the breakfast club in Montevallo at McDonald's on a morning when all the men sitting around eating breakfast Said, I saw Peter the other day. You did? Yep. What was Peter doing? He was going to catch a fish. Well, you know Peter's a fisherman. That's what he does. That's what he does for a living. He fishes. No, 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 no. This is weird, y'all. This is really weird. He said they had been in Capernaum, and the local people demanded tax of him and Jesus, and he went to Jesus and said, we don't have any money. How in the world can we get any money to pay the tax for visiting this town? And he said, Jesus told him, go up to the Sea of Galilee, which Capernaum's on the coast. Go up to the Sea of Galilee and get your hook baited and throw it out, and the first fish you catch will have a gold coin in his mouth. You take the gold coin out and go pay your taxes with it. No, he didn't say that. That's what he said. Well, do you think that's really what he was going to do? I don't know. He was on his way. You know, Peter, he was just he was he was walking, leaning over, you know how he does. He was on his way to do just exactly that. Well, that's about the stupidest thing I've heard of in my life. That's absurd. That's crazy. I have heard people, I'm not a Facebook person, but I have heard people who made a comment on Facebook and they're absolutely surprised and upset because somebody in all the people that hear that disagrees with them. That's not so. Why in the world wouldn't they believe me? Does that bug you? Can that bother you? Can knowing that somebody in the sound of your electronic voice doesn't agree with what you think? 
But yet I think there are times when we choose to keep our mouth shut about us and Jesus when the only reason to do that is because somebody might think we're a kook if we told. And Satan uses that. Don't you think he doesn't? If he can keep, make us shut our mouth about praising Jesus, he's all into that as much as he can. Now suppose on Facebook, somebody said, I saw Philip the other day. He was on his way to Gaza. What in the world would Philip be doing going to Gaza? Well, he said an angel of the Lord told him to go down on the road to Gaza. And he just got up and left. Well, where did he say he was going? said he didn't know. Do what? Where on the road to Gaza was he supposed to go? I have no clue. He said he didn't either. And I said, what in the world are you walking 45 miles far and don't even know where you're going? Sounds crazy to me. These are the things that Jesus or God asked his people to do. And it's quite obvious, we know, because Peter kept getting smacked upside the head. I understand Philip was a real good deacon too, a really honest man and a, and a good Christian man. That's what they said about him when they picked him to be a deacon in the first chapter of Acts. But Peter, we know, was brash. I mean, he'd stick his neck out that far. And nobody believed anything but him. What if we are called to do something by God and we start letting people around know that we were called to do that and they think it's weird? Weird is another name for peculiar. <laughs> it really is. We don't act like the world, folks. And the further we go and the more we believe, and the stricter we self-control our own lives, the less and less we believe like the unbelievers that are around us every day. To the extent that they would just rather avoid us in a lot of cases. And they do. How sensitive are we about being avoided? So I, I ask myself, how, how comfortable am I with being peculiar? Is my faith larger than my embarrassment or desire or for privacy? If, I, if God asked me to do something and I did it, or if I was thinking about doing it, and you know that's always there. Boy, this, it seems like God has asked me to do something that's kind of out of context for me. So we think about it. We don't always do like Philip did. And God said, get up and go, and Philip arose and went. I mean, just, just like that. Is your behavior governed or what your family and friends think?
What if you were called a religious fanatic? Can your ego take that and keep right on going? Sounds like a bad word, doesn't it? But it's really not. Some of your family and friends will start avoiding you just for being what God wants you to be, a peculiar person. It'll get to where your presence makes them uncomfortable about the things they do around you. So they'd rather just you not be there. They won't want you around even if you don't say anything. Because they know what you've done and said in the past. They know who you are. And you make them uncomfortable. God and Jesus in different occasions in the Bible were bragging on these people for doing these things as they did them. That's what obedience is all about. Doing what you're told or what you know you're supposed to be, whether you're told or not. Your conscience is involved, and your scripture's involved. What if Jesus was the only one who might understand or even know what you were doing for him? You didn't have anybody else's cooperation. You were the only one. Well, I can't understand why he had asked them to do that. He hadn't asked anybody else to do it. And so then we question the call because everybody's not doing it. There's something else I've learned in all of this, all of this discussion about the particular discussion we're having, the subject we're having right now, is this. I have learned that if God knows you won't do something, or if God, in knowing ahead of time, and He knows you, He knows who you are, and knows ahead of time that you're not going to believe something, He won't ask you to do it, or He won't ask you to believe it. Wait a minute. You mean if I have been a little bit stubborn about believing something in the past, you think there's things he wants me to know now that he won't tell me? Could be. Because that's the way he talks. That's the way he is. He knows ahead of time. I mean, it's like this. One of your children, if you know they won't do something, would you get caught by asking them to do it? I mean, you know, you'd be facing some type of punishment if they were small, in an argument if they were larger or if they were grown their own personal opinion. About being a representative of Jesus Christ on this earth now, one thing I'd like for you to remember, we were talking about this this morning, David and I were. Jesus was given all authority on heaven and earth and under the earth. 
because of one thing. He was 100% obedient to the Father. He did every single thing God asked him to do. It's about obedience is what it's all about. Now, in the garden, the night before he was put on the cross, three times he went to God and said, is there any way I could have this thing removed from me that I won't have to go to that cross? Three things. And he was legitimately fearful of going to the cross. I believe that. But not my will, but your will be done. I'll do it, Lord. If there's no other way you think I can get this done without doing this and be obedient to you, then I'll do it. I think probably the reason for that you say, well, he would have to know that he was going to be resurrected in three days. Yes, he would. But there was those three days that Jesus was sacrificed for the sin of this world and God was not with him for, those, for that time. And that's the first time ever in Jesus' existence he ever had to live one hour without the Father in him and with him and connected to him. But God had to get away from him for him to die for the sin because he took all the sin of the world on him. That could be the only reason that Jesus would not have wanted to do that that I can see. There may be others that I don't know about. So there are things that we could be called to do that are well within the ability that God has given us to do that we'd rather not do. But do we go ahead and do it anyhow when only me and Jesus knows about it? It's a question we ask ourselves. But that is what the God expects of us, each one of us, that we are 100% obedient to whatever Jesus and the Holy Spirit says he wants us to do. Probably we're all somewhere between where we are now and that perfectness. And that's okay. But the next time it comes up, we can get a better grade by accepting what God asks us to do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for showing us this side of you and all those that are around you. You say that we're to brag on knowing and understanding you. And this is another side of you that's difficult to talk about a lot of times because it gets close to where we live. Lord, I pray that you might give each one of us enough grace and enough boldness to be what you'd have us to be, regardless of what those around us may think of us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.